episode 116, We Go In and Presents. Tonight I am joined by the phenomenal DJ B Original, DJ producer extraordinaire, work with so many artists, Prodigal Son, Big Twin, so many different artists, and DJ for the LA Rams. Be original, man. I know this is a tough time being the Rams just lost yesterday, but appreciate you joining, man. How's your weekend going? Oh, man, pretty good, man. How are things on your end? No complaints, no complaints. You know, as a Giants fan, there really has not been a lot to cheer for, you know, since the la- that last Super Bowl. Feels like they've just been, you know, sinking further into the abyss, you know, little bright spot, and then they, they go backwards again like this year. But the Rams, man, they've been solid. You, know, you got the Super Bowl victory, and yeah. um, this year they had a, an amazing turnaround. You know, what's it been like DJing for the Rams and just being involved with the team like that? Um, it's been really fun. Like, I, so since they, since I've always DJ for them. Like since they moved to Los Angeles, um, of course they came here from St. Louis, which is my original hometown. Um, so when they came out here, they were looking for a DJ. And of course I knew people in St. Louis that work with that organization and they hooked me up with them. So, I mean, I've been DJing a lot for the Rams since like day one, since like they first got here. So it's been great, man. I, you know, I enjoy it, man. They're a really good organization. Um, you know, I do a lot of their events, uh, you know, charity events, play 60, um, events for the NFL and stuff like that. So it's been really, really good. I definitely enjoy it. That's awesome. And what was it like being a part of that or, you know, the Rams organization after that Super Bowl victory? It was really cool. I, you know, the city. So I would say after that, like, the city was already pretty excited about the Rams, but I think after that Super Bowl victory, um, you know, people got really, really excited about the team. And that was great because that just meant like more events for me to DJ, um, you know, get to spend more time with the, you know, with, with, with the team and the organization. So it's been really cool to see, um, to see just the, you know, the city's response um, to that, you know, to the Rams after that victory and since then i mean it's been like a high mark you know and, and we're definitely trying to get back to the super bowl i think this year everyone was expecting a tougher you know a tougher year but hey man we got to a wild card game we had 10 wins so i'm not complaining i mean they really built that team for that super bowl victory and usually whenever that happens, you know, you can expect a few down years as the team rebuilds from that, you know, with just how many assets they gave up to get the players they got that, you know, two years ago, three years ago. So, like, looking at that, I mean, really, as a Rams fan, like, they have nothing to really complain about because that turnaround was was amazing this year compared to, like, what it, it could have been. Yeah. And that's, too, you know, the Rams have been to the Super Bowl twice since they've been in the city. Two times they lost one and they won one. So that so I mean, it's been awesome, man. And really, I mean, just I'm just kind of thinking about it, like as we're talking about it, like it's just been it's just been really cool, man, to have an NFL team here. Um, you know, when I first moved to Los Angeles, we did not have an NFL team, and this was like Raider Nation. I mean, you know, everyone here is like a Raiders fan, so that's kind of what I what I walked into. So it was great to have um, to get any kind of NFL team here and to get, to get a team like the Rams when they came here, they were not very great. And, you know, we've seen them build and build and build over these few years, two Super Bowl appearances in LA, one win. It's been amazing. No doubt. So have you put the players on to any music as their DJ or have they put you on to any music? Um, <laughs> not really. Not really. I mean, they so that in stadium DJ is DJ Melsky, and he's real dope. Like he has so much interaction with the players uh, from a stadium perspective. That's when they really, really say, you know what? I like this song. I like this song. I like this song. Play this song. Play this song. Play this song. You know, like that sort of thing. So, um, what I do with the Rams is a lot of the, like I said, a lot of charity events, a lot of uh, corporate parties and stuff like that. So. My interaction with the players, like, hey, they'll be like, hey, can you play such and such song? And it's because of the environment that I'm in. Sometimes I can and some, sometimes I can't. But, dude, they don't really put me on to any new music. 
what music is in rotation right now for you? Yeah, so, okay, so, um, I would say that Killer Mike Project is one that I like a lot. Um, I'm definitely listening to that. I'm trying to think of some of my highlights from last year. Nick Grant, his project, mm-hmm. I listen to a lot. Um, I think in constant rotation for me is a, is, is a lot of, I listen to a lot of lo-fi beats. Mm. Just stuff like that. A lot of lo-fi. Um, I listen to a lot of gospel music. Um, I'm just trying to think of like what a lot of books on tape, stuff like that. When it comes to music, you know, I really have like, like my, I, I guess my handful of go-to people that I like, of course, like the Nas, Jay, you know, Nas is Jay-Z, you know, people like that. Uh, Planet Asia, um, big fan of, big fan of, of him, you know, artists that I work with, um, you know, Prodigal, Big Twin, um, you know, people, I would say people of that ilk, um, but realistically, man, I'm like really, really listening to just a lot of just instrumental music at this point. No doubt. Well, what about it, man? Like is speaking to you in, in this moment like that? Well, I think in rap music, there's not a lot, um, there's not a whole lot new going on, which is sort of like, I think everybody kind of says that. The, the the good part about rap music is that you you know you have access to a lot of new music but it's a lot of the same stuff so there are some standouts like dudes like um like Larry June you know I, I like a lot I love what Alchemist is doing um you know I like that kind of stuff but at the end of the day man this just seems like it's a lot of the same same old same old over and over again so the instrumental music it's great because I could find new new producers. You could listen to to producers from all over the world, like all. It doesn't even matter where they come from. Like if they're making dope beats and they're on a lo-fi playlist or something like that, like you could find them. So I think that that's really what speaks to me is just a variety of of production, and it's just it's just a lot of good production out there, and it's yeah. just, it's an easy listen. Yeah. No. That, that that's cool, man. You know, and and you have so many different projects that you've been working on. You know, from Dirt Five Hundred, BK Cashmere, who was just featured on We Going and Presents. You know, you've been doing a ton of great work with with Twin and Prodigal Son. Like, how do you balance the different projects you take on? Because I know it's deeper than just like here's a beat. Like, go do whatever you want with it. Like, I, like I know you're hands on, man. Which is why it's like, how do you balance yeah. everything that that you're doing to where? The, you can get the quality that you want without like feeling overwhelmed. I think for me, the biggest thing is um, working with quality artists and working with people that are professional. Now, when I say professional, I don't mean that they're like a big rapper. I just mean that their demeanor is professional. The way they approach music is professional. Like they come prepared and ready. You know, my, my big thing um with the artists that I work with is that I like to have relationships with the artists that I work with. Like that. And that's actually why I don't work with a lot of artists. I like to work with my friends. You know, I like to work with people that I get along with. Like, you know, sometimes when we're in the studio, we'll only spend like 20, 30 minutes recording a song, but we'll be there for like four of our, for like four or five hours. Cause we're just talking and catching up and, you know, um, having fun, just talking about all kinds of stuff. So, I think for me, like, that's how I balance everything is the recording process is made easy because the rappers that I work with are super professional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can't, like, my thing is mostly like, you know, I'm giving you 20 or 30 minutes to record a song. And that's it. If we can't do it in that amount of time, then it's not going to get done. And in today's world, the recording studio is for recording the song. It's not for creating the song. You create the song somewhere else. You could do it. You can create the song at your house. I don't care where you create it. Just don't create it in the studio with me because I don't have time or patience for that. Yeah. Only thing, only thing that you do when you come to my studio is literally cut vocals. You shouldn't be trying to work out verses. You shouldn't be trying to construct a hook. 
You shouldn't be trying to figure out how you're going to say a certain phrase or words or whatever. Work that shit out somewhere else. Come here, lay your verses, and leave. And that's and that's how I that's how I run. You know, that's how I prefer to work. Have you had to kind of level set with anybody before and just like kind of lay down like this is this is how it is? Um, well, not anymore because I'm working with better artists. But yeah, in the past, like, you know, when I didn't have access to, to better artists and people were just like, you know, finding me online or whatever, you know, they I might post an ad on Craigslist for studio time. I'm searching for artists or whatever. You know, you get a lot of like amateur um, people that way. Right. So yeah, so so I I have had 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 I have had to have that discussion a few times, but at this point, like I said, I really want to work with people that I know, and everyone knows how I am. Like, come in, do your thing, and leave. You know, and and if you're if 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 you're not going to leave, it's only because we have a relationship and we we're gonna hang out a little bit. Right, and we're gonna talk and crack jokes and that sort of stuff. But, bro, it's it, it takes someone like Prodigal. Like he's a good example. He lives in Santa Monica. He's out in Santa Monica. Uh, my studio's in Van Nuys. It takes him longer to get to my studio than it does for him to actually record a record. Because he's ve- he's a very efficient rapper. I mean, very efficient. We get whole songs done in like twenty minutes or less. He is super duper efficient. When he comes to the studio, he's very prepared. I've already sent him the beat. He's already written a song. He's already rehearsed it a bunch of times. By the time he steps in the booth and gets behind a microphone, seriously, from the time we start to the time we end, it's like 20 minutes. And it's done. That's amazing. Yeah, and those are, and that's like twins the same way, dirt is the same way. Um, those sessions I had with Karis One, he's the same. Like, I like I just like to work with people that are like that. Be very efficient. Come in, do your thing, and then we could bullshit the rest of the time, and you could just leave. And that's you know that's how I like to run things. And can you tell when you get what you want in that first take? Because I've heard stories of of artists talking about different producers that like, even when the artist feels like they nailed it the way they want they want it to sound. The producers like do it again, do it again, do it again, and they, it's almost like they want to get four or five takes and then kind of pick what which one is best. Like, do you know if Prodigal or whoever does one one take, we got it, or like do this part again? Yeah, well, most of the time the artists can tell. That's another thing. Like when you're working with really really good artists, they know what they're comfortable with, and, and they know when they've had a good take and when they haven't. Now. You know, if you work with Prodigal or somebody like that, or like a better example is like Kara's one, right? Um, like all his takes are good. So it's not, so really it's just about finding which one that he wants to use. Mm. You know, when you when you start to get into like that level of, of, of artistry, it's not really like they're having bad takes at all. Right. You know, so so really it's just like, Let's go through the take, bang, knock it out, listen back. Am I comfortable with that? It may be a couple parts to go to fix or whatever. And then they'll like move on to like verse two. And then they knock that verse out. And then we'll go back and listen to the whole thing, see if there's anything to fix. Sometimes sometimes an artist will be like, you know what, let me, um, you know, let me just do the first verse over again. And they just run through it. Mm. You know, you listen back through, you know, two or three takes. And sometimes you take pieces of the first take, a little piece of the second take, a little piece of the third take, and you build like that one master. The, the verse that the public actually hears can be a combination of three or four of those takes. Right. You know, but but generally, like, these guys work super fast because they got stuff to do, too, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 I think, like, you know, though that that type of that type of recording is different than it had been in the past like when i first first started doing this like way back in the 90s like 93 94 it was different because you couldn't send somebody to beat two weeks in advance you had to make it in the studio 
Right. Like you were literally constructing a song in a studio, and you would have like those 16-hour studio days. You, you know, but now it's like everything is already done. And in fact, um, most artists just cut vocals at home and then send it to me. So I'm rarely, at, at this point, I'm rarely in the studio with the actual artist. Mm. People cut vocals and they, and they just send it on. Like I said, most of the time when I do have a session with an artist, it's because I'm friends with that person. They mostly are just coming up. To, they mostly just come into the studio to hang out, and we're gonna record a song while we're hanging out. Mm. It's more like that. That's really cool, man. You know, when you look to you've done so much work with both Prodigal and Big Twins. Like Prodigal came up under that Woo umbrella, and and Twins under that infamous Mob, you know, Mob Deep family like that. You know, what are the similarities and differences with how they both approach the studio? Um, knowing that they came up under uh, different, but both wildly successful camps. Yeah. And that's an interesting question. I, so I would say prodigal is definitely efficient. And I'm pretty sure that, that that has a lot to do with being in that Wu-Tang environment where it's so many MCs, you really have to be on point. Like when it's time to rhyme, you really got to be on point because it's just so many of them. You don't know who's going to make the song, where the song is going to be, that sort of thing. And they don't have time to to watch like 10 people, you know, messing around in the vocal booth. So I would say a lot of his training when it comes to creating songs is about efficiency. I mean, he's like a rap machine. Like he's very, very efficient. I think Twin is Twin is like so much um vibe and emotion and feeling like um my deep's music i think it makes you feel a certain way like when you listen to it and i think that he sort of embodies that like he's really trying to capture like some sort of emotion when he's when he's constructing a song so so for him it's not about efficiency it's about how can i say this in a way that's gonna make you the listener have a reaction to it right yeah, and sometimes he, you know, he has that voice, or sometimes he utilizes his voice in such a way um, with his actual words where it's just grimy and it's gritty. If you're the end listener, you're like, wow, I can't even believe he just said that. You know, and, and sometimes the stuff he says, it, it definitely um, it feels more literal and more real because his voice is so heavy. So even when you're sitting there recording him, like even as he's writing, even as he's rapping his verses, sometimes I'll be recording the verse and he'll say something. I'll be like, "Man, that's kind of crazy." In combination with his voice and everything like that, like you can get that feel like as you're sitting there recording it. So I know, like as I'm recording it, if I feel a certain way, then I know the end user, the end listener is also gonna have that feeling. And that's I, I think like that's where that's like his lane. As opposed to Prodigal, he's very meticulous with his words and his wordplay, how he puts his words together, and yeah, so they're they're really two different type of artists, like like vastly different artists. No, no doubt, man. Things you can appreciate about both artists, like and 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 what they bring to the game, man. You know, Prodigal is someone who you've been working with for a minute now. How did you guys originally link up? Um, through a through a friend of a friend. I was sitting in his office. We were on Warner Brothers lot. It was like 2002, I think, or something like that. And I'm sitting on, you know, we're on the Warner Brothers lot. I'm sitting in his office. He's like, hey, I got to make a quick call uh, to tell this host of the show to give her some information. So he calls her, and Prodigal answers the phone. And I immediately hear, like, the New York accent. And um, he said, hang on, let me get. So Prodigal's like, hang on, let me grab her. And then I asked my friend who I was sitting in the office with, I said, who is that? And she, he said, oh, it's one of her friends. It's, he's in some rap group called Wu-Tang or something like that. I was like, wait a minute, what? And then, and that's basically how, how it happened. Um, the person that he hired to be the host of this show, she got on the phone, and I basically just cut my friend off. And I was like, who is your friend? Is he a rapper? Is he in this group called Wu-Tang or whatever? I need to meet him. And she was like, ah, he don't really meet with people. And I basically just begged her. 
and ba- and we and and we met up, and as soon as we met up, it was just instant chemistry. Like it, we just became instant friends, like right away. And that's and that's pretty much it. I told him I was like, yo, I produce music. Um, you know, I DJ. That's really what I want to do. And I know I'm working at Warner Brothers, but music is like my thing. You know, I was really, really just going into it. And he was right in the middle. Or he was right at the start of an album, of an album project. He was like, all right, send me some beats. And um, I gave him a beat CD. And then he went back to New York, and I didn't hear from him for like three or four weeks. And he just called me out the blue one day. He was like, yo, I'm going to use beats. And he named out like five different beats. And from there, that's just how we, you know, that's just how we started to connect. That's amazing, man. You guys have done so much cool work, man. You've worked on his albums. You guys have done, um, you know, freestyles, kind of anything, anything you can really think of you guys have really put out there. Like, what's been some of the moments with Prodigal that you're most proud of? Man. This is, man, Wow. It's been it's been a lot, man. It's been a lot. A lot of them don't really revolve around music. Um, a lot, a lot. Some, you know, some of the things I'm most proud of Prodigal about is really just persevering and continuing to move forward. Um, you know, as Wu Tang has matured into like a legacy group, they're less active, but he continues to move forward and took it you know, pursue movie projects and, you know, um, music and, and work on his brand and that sort of stuff. Like those are the things that I'm most, um, that I'm most proud of him for, I would say beyond music. Because like the music stuff is very easy for him. Um, so it's been great to see him like branch out and do, you know, and, and try to pursue other things. That's amazing. And, and, and just, you know, seeing the response to prodigal's music, I mean, you see the power of the W, right? Like, I mean, between the relationships, the 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 deep friendships, the the fan response. I mean, what's it been like, kind of being under that Wu umbrella, working with Prodigal? Um, it's been cool, man. Like, you know, because of him, man, I've had the opportunity to to uh, meet Rizzo, work out, you know, work work with with Rizzo a little bit, see how he works. Um, you know, trade up drum sounds, kind of get into his production technique. Um, you know, I've had opportunity to, um, you know, hang around with Jizza and just kind of be a fly on the wall and, you know, with, with meth and red and, go, you know, uh, you know, just all of that sort of stuff, you know, DJing for Ghost and Ray in Chicago, just all of those sort of opportunities really stem from just this relationship with Prodigal. That's so amazing. it's been great. Yeah, so it's been great to like have a front row seat to to that kind of stuff. Like um, the last Sons of Man album that came out, I think I did like six or seven songs on that project. You know, it's kind of like, does that opportunity happen without me meeting Prodigal? Right. You know, do I get do I get an opportunity to work with with, with Capadonna and Master Killer without without Prodigal? You know, when 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 Jizzle was doing that, that his his solo record with DJ Muggs, I had an opportunity to go over there for a bunch of sessions and really just soak up knowledge and see how they how they do things and stuff like that. Right. So I think so. So it's been co- I mean it's been cool to really really like I said have a front row seat to that kind of stuff. I think as a kid, bro, I got a single. So Rizzo produced. I got a Prodigal Son single. On the A side of it, and this is on vinyl. I got the vinyl in my studio. The A side of it is a beat that Rizzo produced. On the B side of it is a beat that I produced. I never in my life thought I would be able to share a single with Rizzo. Yeah. Never. Ever. Did I ever think growing up in St. Louis that I would ever be able to actually meet, not not only meet this person, but to share a single with him? Crazy. Never thought that would happen. So it's been interesting, like, through all of these years to really have such a front row seat, for sure. How do you kind of cater your sounds to different artists? Or do you just kind of let the chips fall where they may and, and make what you make? So, yeah, like, I mean, I basically just make the kind of beats that I want to make. Um, and either and either you just like it or not. You know, like, you wouldn't go to DJ Premier and ask him to make a beat like Dr. Dre. 
if you go to DJ Premier, you know that you're going to get a DJ Premier beat. And I am in no way equating myself to DJ Premier, but what I am saying is that I don't adjust my style for artists. I know a lot of producers do that, and a lot of those producers are great at what they do. That's just not what I do. I mostly want to enjoy making music, and I want to make music the way that I want to make it. So if you come to me, you know what you're going to get, and that's just how I roll. No doubt, man. I mean, that, that that's awesome. What's that production process like for you? Um, well, it's changed a lot. I used to sample a lot. Um, now, you know, I use a lot of musicians. Um, I sample, you know, I'll actually create a song, mix it, then sample what I just made and chop it up. I'll definitely do that. Um, I work a lot with with uh, musicians that are that I find on like Fiverr. Fiverr is great. Um, I utilize Splice. I utilize sample packs. I do anything I can to not sample. Or if I do sample, I'm sampling myself. So, I mean, that's pretty much my, my production technique. And then after that, it's just like anything else. I find a sample that I like. I chop it up. Um, try to create something new out of it new melodies, new arrangements. Um, it's always great when you can get the stems, which is why I use like a lot of musicians and stuff like that. Because um, when you have access to the stems, you can just do more with it. Um, you know, get funky with the drums and then put it all together. Yeah. You know, I use a lot. Yeah, I use Logic to create music and then I use Pro Tools to edit, mix, master, and record. And how did you find yourself growing and really pushing yourself to try new things, work with more live musicians, get away from sampling? Like, what led to that growth? I think just deciding that I wanted to actually make money with my music. Realistically, that's it. I mean, it was nothing more than that. I I figured if I'm sampling music that was already recorded, um, I can make music that's that sounds like the stuff that I would sample anyway. Right? Like, why can't I? Like, why can't I make a 70s soul record and then just sample that? Right. <laughs> so, so that's basically what I do. Like, I don't try to, like, replay samples or anything like that because chopping a sample, slicing and dicing, that's part of the actual sound of hip-hop. Yeah. So, that, so, so that's why I don't try to, like replay a sample that's been chopped up or anything like that. Like I will literally create the entire song, mix it, master it. And then I will chop that up. Mm. And, and in that way, um, you know, there's no samples to pay for. You have all the stems, um, you know, you've got great sound because it came from like real musicians. So that's, that's, that's my process. And when you have that kind of process too, I'm guessing you're not making, you know, four or five beats a day like some producers say they might be doing. No, I'm not, but I still try to like in the thirty in a thirty day month, I still try to do around twenty ish beats, fifteen, fifteen to twenty beats. Something like that. Um somewhere in that neighborhood. I've, I've, over the last few years, I've become more active in beat making because there is money in beat making without having to deal with rappers. Mm. As far as as far as selling beats or placing, you know, syncing beats, um, licensing beats, like that sort of thing. There's ways to get money as a producer that don't involve actually creating a song. You know, or working or working with a rapper. So I've been. So, so I guess over the last like two years, I've been more active and just literally just making music with, without any intention of even having somebody rap on it. So, so, you know, I think as producers, sometimes we get stuck with like, oh, we want to work with this rapper or, or, you know, we want to create this song with this person and that sort of thing. And it's kind of like, at this point, it's time to in my opinion, it's it's time to monetize your artwork 
and sometimes it doesn't involve actually creating a song with a rapper or an R&B singer or whatever. That can be letting your beat stand on its own and getting it out to people that want to lease it or buy it from you. Right. You know, I'm at that point, I think, where it's like, I want to monetize more my artwork, which is music production. Yeah. Like, why shouldn't I? Like, I've worked with everybody that outside of Nas and Jay-Z, either as a producer or a DJ, I've worked with everyone I want to work with. Like, there's nobody left. So there's nobody for me to chase. I don't care if I'd never get another placement on anybody's album because my thing is how can I monetize what I do? Right. How and hard that's, is that's that, it. man? In, in 2024, like, you know, you look at, like, you know, instrumental playlists on Spotify. There's a new producer every single time. Like, you know, it's and, and they can add 50 new tracks by 50 new producers. And it's like there's just so many out there right now like the field feels really saturated so like how do you you know make money and how hard is it to get the kind of placements that you've gotten you know leasing beats you know licensing beats like how hard is it to do that today um i think it's difficult i think it's really really difficult but again that's where you have to be smart about about business about creating business so I was just actually having this conversation with, with Dirt 500 the other day. And the conversation really revolved around not streaming um, full album projects. Like, I'm not streaming any anything that's on my record label that is a full body of work, a project, an album that will not be streaming. I'll put singles up on Spotify for streaming and all that sort of stuff all day long. But Spotify, streaming music, that is now, I'm using that as, 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 a, as a way to market my artist. Because there's no money really in streaming. So if you're not going to pay me, then I might as well utilize it to build fan base for my audience. In which case, if you want to hear the whole album, then you have to get off of the streaming platform and come and purchase the album. Right. So at this point, it really is about how can we, again, monetize uh, artwork. And in order to do that, you have to be thinking about business, like the the business part of the music business. I wish, uh, it, like to me, like one of my goals, one of the things I would love to have happen is for producers to understand that chasing these rappers won't do anything for you. Like it won't do anything for you. So what? A rapper, you, you get a placement on somebody's album. Let's just say they give you $5,000, right? You get no back end or it's streaming numbers. It's like fractions of a penny. There's nothing there. You use a bunch of samples so you can't sync it. So great. You got a check in your pocket, but you can't do nothing else with it. Like right. how long do you think that money is going to last? You know, meanwhile, you're chasing down rapper X, Y, and Z to to get a little to get a little chump change in your pocket. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. As producers, it's time to fit. Maybe that's why I listen to so many lo-fi beats. I have mm-hmm. no idea. But at this point, it's like, how can I monetize? How can I make money off of my production? And it comes through selling, syncing, streaming your own your your own stuff, creating real fans who will spend money with you. DTC direct to consumer, and, you, and I think like if you're really serious about if you're really serious about creating business out of your art, then you'll be thinking more business minded. So, and and to answer your question, yeah, it, it's hard to do because it's a, it's a little bit of a shift. Like you're using both both sides of your brain, you're using the creative part of your brain, and you're also using the business part of your brain. So the creative part of your brain, if you're a creative person, is almost always going to say, I'm making this beat and I hear a rapper, whatever rapper on this beat. And if that rapper doesn't hit, doesn't, if you can't figure out a way to get that rapper or a rapper that you like on this beat, then that, then that beat just sits on your hard drive. Yeah. That is absolutely, that's, that beat is money. It should never sit on your hard drive. Put it out. Put it out and promote it. Create your own streaming playlist of your own music. 
And you can monetize that. Like, why not? If you hear a rapper on your beat and you can't get that rapper on that beat, then does that beat just become worthless? It shouldn't. Sell it to somebody else or figure out a way to make more money with it. Right. So, so I think like, and this is probably like a larger discussion. Like maybe we could have this discussion some other time, but you know, I just, I just feel like in this day and age, it's time for um, all artists to start thinking about how we can monetize what we do. And also, some people that move. I don't think the fans understand either, man, just how important it is that they spend money. Well, that's the difference between. So what I consider to be a fan is someone who will spend money with you. What I consider someone who likes your music, that's just a person that likes your music and they like to listen to it. A fan is someone that's going to spend money with you. Like, that's what I consider a fan. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's and that's and it's the same way, like. Listen, man, if you were going to sell sneakers and somebody liked your sneakers, but they're not willing to buy sneakers, they're not willing to buy your sneaker, that's just somebody that likes your sneaker. What you want to do is put your sneakers in front of people that's going to buy it, people that's going to spend money with you. We have to start thinking like that. I mean, we just have to start thinking like that, like plain and simple. Someone who like there's a lot of artists I like their music, but I'm not gonna spend money with them. And there's a handful of artists that I am gonna spend money with because I'm a fan of what they do. I want to invest in what they do. Those are the people you need, and you don't need a lot of those people. Like think about it like this. Think about it like this. Seven thirty. Think about it like this. In order to earn, in order to, in order to earn a hundred thousand dollars. And streaming, you need something like 30 million streams to earn $100,000 a year. In order to, if you do direct to consumer, in order to earn $100,000, you need 1,000 people that's willing to spend $100 with you. Now, what do you think is going to be easier, to get 31 million streams or 1,000 people to spend 100 bucks with you? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that depends, cause, right? Because... Hundred bucks is still a lot of money, but you know, fifteen twenty bucks might be more doable for some fans. You know. Okay, so suppose you can get two thousand people to spend twenty dollars with you. Yeah. I mean, would you would you would you agree that 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 getting two thousand people to spend twenty to spend twenty dollars with you is going to be easier than getting thirty million streams? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, so that's what, what I'm that saying. Like, what is that like? Six people a day? Yeah, it, it's it's purely it's purely a numbers game. Think, think about it like this: if you can get four thousand people to spend a hundred dollars with you, and we're talking a hundred dollars per year. I'm not talking about a hundred dollars in one sitting. Yeah, I'm talking a hundred dollars per year. If I can convince someone to spend a hundred dollars per year with me, which is basically ten dollars a month, if I can convince four thousand people to do that, that's four hundred thousand dollars. Now, in order to get $400,000 from streaming, I need like over 100 million streams to make that happen. So here all I'm saying is I need 4,000 people, and it doesn't even have to be 4,000 people. I just need uh, uh, 4,000 sales that average $100. And it doesn't all have to be music. It could be T-shirts. It could be hoodies. It could be a subscription that you, that you, um, that you provide. It could be new music. It could be concert events. You could have private concert. I could have a private concert in my studio for my 30 biggest fans. And where they could come and meet me, they could be in an intimate setting, 30 people in my studio. We're going to have drinks and food. The tickets are 40 or $50. There you go. You see, so that's, so that's, so those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about. Like, you know, monetizing monetizing the artwork is important, and that goes all the way back to creating business out of the music business. Now, as a producer, that means do I need to chase a rapper to make money? Probably not. 
Now, if I if I want to chase down a rapper and hope that they like this beat, then by all means, make it happen. But at the end of the day, you still got bills to pay, you got kids to feed, you got rent to pay, all that sort of stuff. So while you're chasing down Benny the Butcher because you want him on his beat, try to make some music on some of your, try to make some money on some of your other music. No? Like, am I right or am right. I wrong? Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. And and so how, how do you stay inspired, man? Because, I mean, balancing the creative and the business can be a challenge, and some people are better at one than the other. And like you said earlier, you know, you really need to do both. I mean, how how do you balance that and, and enjoy both sides of it? Um, well, that's the thing. It's not always enjoyable. I think like creating music is a little bit of an outlet for me. Right. Um, so for me, it's a way to relax. It's something I love. Um, the business part of it can be frustrating, you know, and of, and of course I think that it's like that for most people. So for me, my balance comes from the music part, like creating music and stuff like that is just something that I absolutely love. So for me, it's just like, at the end of the day, if I had a rough day, you know, like many other people, I got a nine to six. You know, I, I definitely have a day job. I got a nine to six. I go there, I do my thing. Um, when I'm done with that, like, I'm already thinking like, man, I need to relax a little bit. And for me, that means making some music. So that's what I'll do. So that's pretty much how I balance it. That's awesome. You know, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying being focused, time management, making sure that you're carving out time to do both of those things. Like when you have a nine to six, um, you know, being super committed, like, okay, I got a nine to five or I got a nine to six or whatever. When I get done with that, I'm going to come home and eat. And then from eight to 10, or whatever time I choose, phone gets shut off, I'm only doing music, don't disturb me. Mm. You got to be focused. Like, you know, I put constraints around what I do. I spend, it take, I'm not going to spend longer than an hour to make a beat. I'm not going to spend longer than an hour to mix it. That's it. I got to be done. And I've trained myself to get those two things done in that amount of time. That's it. Efficiency. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. And that's and that's how and that's how I set my life up. I know from this time to this time, I'm gonna make a beat and I'm gonna mix it. And it has to be done within that time. Mm. And most of the time when I say most of the time, I mean like in the ninety percent I'm ninety five, ninety six, and ninety seven percent of the time I'm able to complete those tasks. So what does that mean for me? That means, remember how I just told you I mix and master and Pro Tools? So I have a Pro Tools template that's set up. I don't have to think about where, thing goes, where things go. I know my kick drum goes on this track. My snare drum goes on this track. I literally have a template set up so that I don't spend any time creating tracks at all. I know where everything goes. And I, could, and I have all my plugins and everything that I use already on those tracks. So my kick drums, I already have those plugins on, my, on, on, on the track. Wherever I'm going to put my snare, I already have all those plugins that I typically use for snare mixing on that track. I'm not fiddling around, looking through EQs, trying to figure out which, you know, going through 10 EQs to figure out which one I want to use. I already know what I'm going to use. So it's just it's just efficiency. You you switch jobs, man. And how hard is it, man, when you, when you got to make decisions like that, and you just got to think, you know, what's what's best overall, man? If like, how, what's that decision making yeah. process like? It's scary because <laughs> you get used to stuff. Um, you know, I've worked in the TV industry for a long time. I've had some great jobs. Um, that, that, that pay that, you know, that pay really well. But I think when it's time to make a move, um, you're deciding at that point, like what's most important to you to continue to bring in a certain amount of money or live a life that's going to make you happier, you know? So it's a, it's a tough decision and it's, 
for me, I decided, you know what, I needed my happiness. I didn't want to work at Fox anymore. So that meant that I'm going to lose a big chunk of my salary. You know, all the money that I was making at, at, at Fox and, like, I spent 15 years there. I built a lot of relationships. I had really moved up the ladder. Like, I already know that moving on from this is going to dead all of that. But at this point in my life, I want to do the things that I really love. And I just got to figure out a way to make it work. I mean, that's pretty much it. Especially in a spot like like L.A. Like L.A. is not one of the, the more affordable cities to live, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you, you just have to figure it out. I mean, it, it is it, it is a struggle, but I don't like I don't really regret any of it because for me, I know what's most important for me is to be able to spend as much time as possible doing the things that I love. Yeah. And I, and I love making music and I love making movies. Like those are the two things that I know for sure that I love. And I want to spend as much time as I can doing those two things. So does that mean that um, I have to cut out certain things? Yeah. Does that mean I can't go traveling around the world, you know, go to Mexico and party it up and like vacation and all that kind of stuff like I used to? Yes. That means I can't do that. Does that mean that I can't go and go out and spend a hundred dollars on a steak because it's Thursday night and I just feel like it? Yep, that's what it means. But I'm also making a decision that I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with my family and my friends and doing the things that I love. Right. I don't want to spend. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just say, and time is that is something that you just you can't get it back. No, you can't. And it's that stuff is worth more than money. That stuff is worth more than money. I mean, I, listen, man, I've worked at CBS Cable, Warner Brothers, NBC, then Fox. I've had some super duper high paying jobs. And the one thing that all of those jobs had in common was that no matter how much money they paid me, I still wasn't happy with where I was. No matter how much, no matter how many zeros was on those checks, it didn't matter. Because every morning when I woke up, I hated what I was doing. And I hated it mostly because I wasn't spending enough time doing what I loved. Mm. So I grew to resent it. I hated sitting on a on the 405 from where I live to Fox it's like 17 miles and traffic. It would take me an hour and a half each way to go 17 miles. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I grew to hate that. I didn't even care what they paid me because at a certain point it just becomes not worth it. The older you get and the more time you see flying by, you wake up, and it's January. You close your eyes, you wake up again. It's like August. And I'm spending all of this time going to a place that I didn't really like, um, you know, doing something that I wasn't passionate about and I didn't love. And the thing that I, and the things that I was passionate about and I really loved, I'm spending the least amount of my day doing that. Mm. That is absolutely unacceptable so i decided you know what i need to find a way to make money doing what i really love it's just a mindset change and part of the, and part of that is to get rid of fox find another nine to six that's less demanding that will still let me live my life but is not going to consume my entire life so I could spend more time developing ways to monetize the stuff that I'm passionate about. Yeah. That's, that's it, man. You, at Fox, bro, you wouldn't, I can't even, you, you, when I work there, man, it's, it's, it's so many unhappy people there 
and in all these places, NBC and every place I name, that are millionaires. <laughs> What's the point of being a millionaire if you hate your job? Yeah, that's a great point. You hate what you're doing. You spend most of your day at your job. You spend most of your working hours at work. Like, if you hate that, then that means you're going to spend most of your day doing something that you that you hate and a big chunk of your day going to the place that you hate because you're commuting. That makes zero sense. That's a long day. Yeah. So so that's so that's why I keep going back to like, okay, how can we monetize the things that we're passionate about? How can we monetize the things that we love? What does that mean? Again, should I chase this rapper down? And if I can't get this rapper, then then the thing that I created is useless. There's no value to the thing that I created. No, I created that. It's value that. How can I access that value? And you take those steps. Market, promote, put yourself out there, connect with people who can who could do sync licensing. Connect with other rappers that may want to buy your beats, lease your beat, sell your beat. Go out and get a Discord account so that music supervisors have access to 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 all of your all all the music that you produce. Yeah. Write songs. Get on Fiverr. Find somebody who can sing the song that you wrote. Have them sing it, send the verses back. Mix and master it, put that in your disco account, and let music supervisors hear what you just wrote and produced and see if they can sync it. Or take that take that music and 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 and, and, and take that music and put it on um and put it on DSPs and stream it. Basically don't that's sit the, still. Do something, right? Like that's that's the best move. Basically, yeah. I mean, figure, figure, you know, figure your life out. People spend all day smoking weed and drinking, chasing girls, doing that kind of stuff. Dude, I've been around enough rappers and enough successful rappers to know that the stuff that we think they're doing or not, they are working. Yeah. They're working. You think they out here chasing girls. They're really not. They show you they show you online that that's what they're doing, but that's just a small portion of their life. They're really working hard to create revenue and create business so that they can live the way that they want to live. That's right. what these rappers are doing. No, and, and, and yeah. that's huge, man. You know, something else that you do is DJ a lot, like you, especially throughout, throughout LA. You know, we talked about the LA Rams, you know, open the interview. What's the DJ scene like in LA today, man? And just like the, just the hip hop scene in general, man, with shows and and just um, all all that good stuff. So I think the show scene for hip hop is slow in Los Angeles. It's definitely slowing down. Um, but the DJ scene is really strong. It's a lot of great DJs in LA. It's a lot of dope parties. Um, one of the things that I like about what's going on right now in the LA scene is that the younger kids who are going out to clubs. And, and and they're 20, 21, 22, 23, they are heavily into 90s music. Heavily into 90s music. So at least in Los Angeles. So in Los Angeles, there's a bunch of hip-hop and R&B parties, 90s and early 2000s music. That's great for a guy like me because that's my era. There's no way that a DJ that's 21 years old could spin 90s hip-hop and 90s R&B better than I can because I was there for it. So it is no way when I'm spinning with a younger DJ, I'm pulling out records that they've never even heard before because they're 21. Like they literally, they don't know the album cuts on Mary J. Blige's first album. They only know her one or two big records, but no, I'm going to pull out some album jams that work. So, so for me, that gives me, that gives me a huge advantage that it's the same advantage that a younger DJ has like um I I did a couple um shows with like um like um Lil Yachty, um um Twenty One Savage, um and the boy from Philly. So um the young boy that had a diamond in his head. What's his name? Um 
You got me diamond in his head. Yeah, no. He, he had a diamond in his forehead. Um, gosh, I can't remember his name. But anyway, I did some of the, some of, some of the shows with the young boy shows, right? And I was and I was DJing those shows. Um, the kids who are like eighteen and nineteen year old that was DJing those shows, they was killing me because they have an advantage in that area. I don't know those. I don't know that music. I don't know that music. So when I have to DJ those kinds of things, of course they're of course they're going to be a better DJ. But now that the nineties music is coming back so strong, there's no way that a twenty year old is gonna be able to out DJ me. Impossible. Yeah. Impossible. So the the DJ saying in LA is like it's on fire right now because there's so much variety, man. It's EDM, it's house. It's soulful house. Punk music is making a comeback. Um, Hip-hop and R&B from the 90s, early 2000s. There's 80s parties. Like, all, like, the party scenes, the going out and let's have fun, that kind of scene is coming back super strong in Los Angeles right now. So, dude, the DJ scene is popping. So, if you're a good DJ, you can really get out there and get something going. That's awesome, man. You know, and with so many different projects on the horizon, man, you know, what, what are you looking to put out? in 2024 man and if we're talking in december january you know 12 months from now like what what do you hope you have accomplished this year so what i hope i have accomplished this year is to strengthen the brand of my record my indie hip-hop label which is sound unity entertainment um i have a few projects dropping that i'm really looking forward to um for one with my creative partner, I've created a short film um, called Unabolished. And with that short film, we did a soundtrack. So Dirt 500 did the soundtrack. I produced the whole thing. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I have at least two projects with Dirt 500 coming out. One of them is called Tuesday 8 a.m., which is fully produced by me. The other project is Love, Love Our Ways to Hate, Volume 3. That has a bunch of other producers. But I'm looking forward to putting those two things out. Um, Cashmere and I, we're we working on something right now um, in the very early stages of it. But I'm looking forward to that particular project. I think we, we might include a documentary with that as well. Um, and then, of course, man, I'm, I'm hoping to get something done with Prodigal this year. I think I will be able to be super busy. Um, and then with Twin, um, we'll see with him. He's super busy as well. I'm not sure if you've been keeping up with everything he's been doing, but, you know, I mean, he's he's got his own uh, his own micro brew, <laughs> his beer. He has beer. That's awesome. That he's, dude, he has beer that he's putting out, man. He is into real estate. Um, dude, he's just got so much stuff going on, but... Uh, we knocked out a couple joints last weekend, so hopefully, so hopefully we'll be able to get something together. But and then I have my own projects too. Um, but this year is really about my little independent record company, really growing that thing, strengthening the brand, and really, really following my business model of DTC, direct to consumer, developing fans, and really turning that into an actual business. And not relying on the on the little pennies from streaming. Yeah, and hopefully, maybe you know, with my little indie label, hopefully I can find some good artists to sign. I would like to sign one or two, if possible. I love what you're doing, Sound Unity Entertainment, man. So definitely be keeping up with you, man, and, and everything you're doing. You know, be original. Thank you so much for for coming on. We going and presents, man. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, most definitely, man. Anytime, anytime, man. It was good to talk to you. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah, whenever. You know what? You need to come up to the studio, man. <laughs>